I am so glad to be back from Russia, and uh, I thought I'd start out by just telling you a few little stories. But would you open up to Luke chapter 8, as we will shortly step into this amazing story, and we're so glad it is our last story. She's, she's quite a woman, this, this Mary Magdala, out of whom had come seven demons, I'll start by reading, and then I'll tell you about Russia. Now it came to pass afterward, in Luke chapter 8, that he, Jesus, went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons and Joanna and Susanna and many others who provided for him from their substance. As I think about this story and this scene, I feel like I've just lived it. I truly have just lived it. I went with a little band of, of 12 of us to Russia. And it, going to Russia is like coming home to me. 25 years ago, we started going, and some of the women that were at the conferences, I had met 25 years ago when they had platform shoes and lots of makeup and were in their late teens living the wildlife, and now they're just amazing godly women. And uh, you went with me, truly, I feel that way, with your little socks, and uh, why did we choose socks to take there? Because they're, they're easy to pack. Um, I packed um, 95 in a suitcase and then weighed it, and it weighed 16 pounds. So that was helpful. Uh, but the great thing is that we ask you to, to give us $2 for each pair of socks that you gave us. And really, truly, I only needed 200 and I think I got 600 pairs of socks. It was fabulous. And um, George and I sat, sat in our living room um, packing the socks, and he was, his job was to take them out of all the sacks and, and separate the socks from the little $2. And I, I, I was in tears as he would hand me a little handful of wadded up $2. And those little $2 from you guys, was, it was like the, the widow's mite. It was the sweetest ever, and I know some of you, that was a big expense to buy a pair of socks and send $2. And so I packed it in an envelope and, and um, then traded it in for, for Russian dollars when I got there and kept that money in my pocket. I paid for the baggage, easy, easy. That was initially to pay for the extra $100 a suitcase that it would take to deliver them. But then I had a, a, a pocket of money. And um, it, it, the pocket of money turned into the widow's oil. I'm not kidding you. I, I thought I had like $400. And there was a, a little mommy whose child had a, a seizure when he was about, I think, four months old, they said, just go home. Your baby's going to die. It's got blood on the brain. He'll never, he'll never live another day. She didn't go home because moms don't go home. And that little baby is almost two. 
And they said he'll never walk or never talk. Well, he's trying to walk and he's trying to talk, but he needs medicine. He needed $200 worth of medicine. I think I've got that. I pulled it out of my pocket. Somebody else needed a scholarship. I think I've got that. I don't know how much money I pulled out of my pocket, but it was never empty. God did miracles. It was an amazing time. And as we read this account, where they followed Jesus, going from town to town, in this chapter alone, chapter 8 of the book of, of Luke, there are so many miracles in just that chapter. In that chapter, Jesus heals a demon-possessed man. So Mary got to see that. Another man freed from the clutches of Satan. In this chapter, she saw Jairus' daughter raised from the dead. She saw the women with the issue of blood healed before her eyes. She saw miracles. In Russia, in Russia, I saw spiritual events. I saw one of our ministry teams, one of our Russian worship teams on the stage for one of our conferences was all teenagers, all 16 years old and below. And the leader of that team comes from a brutal, broken home. And she was standing on stage, shining like a light, like a brilliant light. That was one of my favorite worship teams ever on the planet beautiful. Another woman I had met many years ago, she had just married the man that she had had adultery with and divorced her husband. They were both broken. Now they are dynamic, 25 years ago, dynamic ministry leaders in one of the churches. Another woman at the conference, she came with a raging bitterness against her father. She went home ready to love him because the Spirit of God has set her free. This story of Mary Magdalene isn't just her story. Child of God, it must be our story. It is the story of freedom. It is the story of no lost causes. It's the story of not letting Satan get the better of you because he wants to. I have a very irritating woman in my life right now. She is seriously annoying. And sometimes she gets the better of me. And brings out the worst in me. But you know what? Mary Magdalene fires me up. She fires me up. Because yesterday was a little bit of a lost cause. But today's a new day. Because I stand on the work of the Holy Spirit in me and for me. And I can literally see swords flashing above every one of us in this room. Who wants to say hallelujah, amen? Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. That we can have confidence, even though we fail one day. God, that you are there standing as the sterling, majestic Savior, not just of the world, but of us, of our soul, redeeming, giving us a fresh start as you give Mary Magdalene, 
as her name was not a banner of shame that she carried through her life. It was a banner of glory that no weapon formed against us will prosper as long as we're with you. You are the Savior who saves. We thank you, Lord, that you recorded this story for us and we want to step into us and own her victory. For we pray in in Jesus' name, amen. So, Mary Magdalene, again, such a big story. I hope you have your hand out. I love this picture. I, I, I sat on my computer a few nights ago and said, I got to have a picture. I got to have a picture of a woman that is the mark of freedom. And so I love this when I found it. A woman holding her banner high and the banner says what? Freedom. Because it's for freedom that he set you free. It is for freedom. That is our spiritual right. That is our spiritual destiny. Mary Magdalene was called. And, and some of these terms are so important, we must circle them. Please get out your pen. Mary Magdalene was called out. She was called out of darkness. But she didn't just stay in no man's land. She was called into his marvelous light. And that's where we need to go into. Out of darkness and move as hard and as deep as we can into his marvelous light. He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. This is truth. We need to own it. We need to live it. I would give this message of her story two titles. Two, because I can't decide which one I like best. One would be The Great Escape. Good. Love that. Need it. Need it. Want it every day. And number two, There's No Lost Causes. Please own both of those titles. No Lost Causes. So as we look at her story, seven demons inhabited her soul. We're not given the details of how this happened or when. Did this happen when she was an older child? Did some dark, wrong events wound her and make her vulnerable? Or did it happen later in life with a series of her wrong choices, taking her deeper and deeper into the clutches of Satan? Was she, before she met Jesus, a prostitute? It doesn't say yes. It doesn't say no. Was she poor and enslaved? Absolutely. We know that for sure. Maybe she wasn't a prostitute, or maybe she was a rich woman with a hard and selfish heart who was just plain mean as a snake. I don't know. Seen a few of those. Was she the woman who had been caught in adultery? Or was she the woman that came that day in Luke chapter 7, the chapter right before Luke, where a woman had heard that Jesus was at Simon the Pharisee's house, and she came up behind because she couldn't stay away. She was a driven woman. And she had a, a, 
flask of oil. She broke it, anointed his feet, and then the dam broke in her soul. She started crying like a baby. She cried so hard, not just, she was crying that hard. So much so, there were so many tears that she could wash her feet with her tears. Now you tell me, you tell me who that was. Her name is not mentioned. Maybe because the Lord wants that to be us sometimes. Just crying. And Simon was annoyed with this woman breaking his little party up. And you know what? I love Jesus in that moment because Jesus was annoyed with Simon being annoyed. And I can just see his face looking at Simon saying, I got something to tell you, Simon. Simon said, speak on. And Jesus did. And he told a story about a man that was forgiven just a little bit and didn't love very much. And a man that was forgiven a whole ton and loved a whole ton. And he said, look at this woman. Look at this woman. She was known as a known sinner. But she's crying her eyes out because she was forgiven much. And now Simon the Pharisee. She loves much. Was that Mary Magdalene? Well, maybe because three verses later tells the story of Jesus going around town to town and Mary following. If it wasn't her, it was probably somebody that she knew. She was part of the club. And you know what? Welcome to our world. There's not one of us who aren't ashamed of something that went on in our life, something we did, something we thought about doing, which is just as bad. We could wear that that banner, shame, but Mary didn't. She wore the banner, restored, redeemed, a child of God and a servant of God. In that scene, I love it, Tozer said something very interesting. Listen very carefully. He said, we have to be worshipers first. And then workers only second. We sometimes take a convert and make a worker of them. We must be a worshiper first. Because the work done by a worshiper will have eternity in it. That's why I like to attach these two scenes of this woman worshiping her heart out and Mary serving her heart out for eternity's sake. Oh, did she just cook the dinner as the disciples, as the disciples uh, went and did the real work of ministry? Was she just there with the women washing the dishes? I believe with all of my heart that they all, they all, as the men were talking to the men, I believe each one of those women were working the crowd. We're working on the crowd. Because when you've been wounded, when you've been wounded, when you've been crippled, when you've made bad choices, when you're in the depths of despair, you know what? You can spot it from a mile. When you're hurting, 
you can spot it from a mile. You can see someone whose heart is dragging on the ground. And she had a message for them. That's a powerful thing. And we need to go into that world. My beautiful Janet, sitting over there. You know where she takes her wheelchair? Into lots of places where there's lots of people with no hope. That's her vehicle. That's her vehicle in disguise. They think she's not, she's not able. Oh my goodness, that girl is flying high. You just look at her. She's a beautiful example. And I brought some Gospels of John and some tracks for her to use as weapons. And I have some on the, in the hall out there in case you want to be dangerous to the enemy's camp and carry them around. We need to be armed and dangerous. That's what we need. And so as we look at her story, she, Mary Magdalene, was healed and set free, free to follow hard. So as we look at her story, the high and the low of her story, let's look at some of the principles. Yes, we talked about that she was called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And so as we, we look at this, we must know how serious demon possession was. <clears throat> First of all, as we look at the principles here, I, I feel like God truly wanted us to be real. Be real with reality. And one of those facts is, Satan is real. He is not a cartoon character. He is not just a masked bandit in some horror movie. He is real. And the Bible says, stay alert, therefore. Watch for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a lion, looking for someone to devour. Now, how do we know that that's true? Because God says it's true. We must know that the kingdom of darkness is real. As truly as we believe that the kingdom of light is real. That hell is real as truly as heaven is real. Satan has a motive. He has a motive. Jesus said that the thief who is Satan, his purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. Take no, take no uh, doubt about that. If you're spiraling down with some bitterness or some, some <clears throat> wrong motive... You know, he's, he's, he's trailing you right behind. So he can catch you and deal with you in the way he deals with you to kill and destroy. Jesus' motive is to give you life and life more abundant. The rich and satisfying life. Satan's method, we must look at that. Jesus said he was a murderer from the beginning. We saw that in Eve's story. He wanted to murder her peace. He wanted to murder her marriage. He wanted to murder her relationship with God. He has always hated the truth, Satan. Satan hates the truth. He hates it when you read your Bible. Why do you think you're so distracted? Why do you think about doing the laundry the minute you sat down to read your Bible? You haven't thought about it for two days. Satan is a liar. He hates the truth. Incidentally, I brought some one-year Bibles in case um, 
Some of you don't have a way to step into the word of God and be consistent from this day forward. And just know that if tomorrow morning you get up and read your Bible, Satan hates it. God loves it though. And he will fan to flame that life in you. Satan's method. He always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character. One of the translations says, when he lies, he speaks his native language. I like that. He's just a liar. Liar, liar. So, he's a liar and the father of lies. Jesus' method, on the other hand, after he had gathered his own flock, this is from John 10, Jesus walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. And that is critical. That is critical. We must know the truth. We must know what Jesus says and how he says it. As condemnation comes to you, you must know, Romans 8, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk after the flesh, who walk after the spirit and not after the flesh. Know your Savior's voice and follow that. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. This word no doesn't mean that you haven't ever heard it before. Oh my goodness, I've heard his voice a thousand times. I know his voice in that way, but I have no relationship. I have no fellowship with his voice, and that's what it means. When he starts bringing those thoughts to my mind, I have one word for him. I don't have time for this. I do not have time for this. I want to be about my father's business. Romans six twelve. Gives us very insight, deep insight to the dynamics. Do not let sin control the way that you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not lay any part of your body to become an instrument to serve sin. That is a powerful recommendation. And here's a principle, the way my grandma used to say it. She didn't say Satan, but I'll insert the word Satan. If you give Satan an inch, he'll take a mile. Say that with me. If you give Satan an inch, he'll take a mile. Catch him at his dirty work and cut him off on the path with the truth. And yielding to the voice of the Lord, yielding to the name of Jesus, yielding to the presence of Jesus. This is the powerful story of Mary Magdalene's life. When she came to Jesus, when she was delivered, and maybe if she was this woman in in chapter 7, she worshipped. She worshipped with all her heart, but she made that worship tangible. She worshipped him with her time. She worshipped him with her energy. And here's the powerful principle. She wasn't lukewarm. She wasn't half-hearted. She was all in. She was on fire. She was on fire with a passionate love for Jesus. Recently, I read Revelation, the first few chapters, and the letters to the churches. How these churches had begun well, but ended poorly, some of them. The, the church at Ephesus, 
Oh my goodness, they were so diligent. They were such hard workers. But Jesus said, I have something against you. You've lost your first love. If that's true, and sometimes it is. Basically, Jesus said, come home. Come home. I believe from to Mary's dying day, she loved to love Jesus. And we see her in the next two scenes that we've studied this week in her story. In Matthew 27, didn't we see her standing at the foot of the cross? And the disciples thought it was dangerous. It was dangerous to be in that realm where literally all hell had broken loose. They had spit on Jesus. They had wounded him. They had mocked him. They had stripped him. He was bloody and beaten. All hell had broken loose. And you know what? Mary had been there. Mary had been there before. And she watched this majestic, majesty king forgive the very people that wounded him. And she, this woman as a known sinner, whatever it was, I'll tell you, it was vicious. Matthew chapter 8 tells the story of a man who had been demon-possessed. And his story is that he couldn't even wear clothes. He lived in the graveyard. He was chained but broke his chains. No one could control him at all. Seven demons, whatever it did in her life, was ugly. She was standing in the shadow of ugly and watching him be as light as a lightning bolt. But then... In that moment that he breathed his last in Matthew 27. He breathed his last. And the Savior she loved was dead. And they took his broken body and wrapped it up and put it in her tomb. Can you imagine what she thought? Can you imagine the emotions that would go over her heart? Jesus had said, I'm the light of the world. Follow me and you will not walk in darkness. You will have the light of life. Jesus had said, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Did they kill Jesus? Did they kill God? Did they kill light? Is hate stronger than love? Is darkness stronger than light? I can only imagine the emotions that hammered on her head and her heart. But she still couldn't stay away. She still had to watch them wrap him up and put him in that tomb and roll the stone. And she she couldn't stay away. In the first moment, it was legal to go. While it was still dark, she went to the tomb, wondering how that stone would be moved. And when she got there, it was empty. She ran and told the disciples they came and they left and left her alone. And there she was alone, not with a dead body of the one she loved, 
but an empty tomb, insult to injury. They had stolen him away. And some of you have been there. Some of you have been there. Feeling, does evil win? When you're in the hospital? When you're in the hospital with someone you love? Divorce court, I'm telling you. That's a crucifixion. Child custody. When you find out some news that just tears your heart in a thousand pieces. We know that feeling. Did they kill God? Did this horrible thing kill God? She sees this gardener guy. And he says, why are you weeping? And I've asked that question. I've walked around Mary. Why were you weeping, Mary? Why could you not stop crying? Yeah, because of all that happened. But I think there was one element that hit me like a rocket. She had followed Jesus. He had taught everything it took to live in this life. And then he had modeled it. He was with her in bodily form. She could follow him close. She could see him. And now he was gone. Was she now vulnerable into the clutches of Satan? Because she knew, she knew she was not stronger than Satan. She knew that. She knew she wasn't stronger than darkness. If Jesus couldn't win, she couldn't. Was she supposed to live now on her own strength? But then when he said her name, Mary, I can see the look on her face. You're alive? You're alive? You're still alive? And she grabbed his feet and he said, you know what? That's not our relationship anymore. He had promised that he wouldn't leave us as orphans. That he would come to us. And not just to us. But in us. That Jesus. Who was nailed to the cross. But in that one obedience. He nailed the power of Satan and darkness and sin. Which has no power over us. She said, you're alive. And Christ lives in us. If you ever want to know the story of Mary Magdalene, I believe she was there on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit filled her permanently forever. And that's the story of our life, child of God, and never doubted because Jesus says so. He lives victorious, not just for us, but in us. Let's close our eyes as we close. And I believe that God has, has this, this truth to conquer something in each of our lives this morning. Some doubting terror, some disappointment, some darkness that's pulling us down. And Lord, we cannot beat it. We cannot conquer it. 
But God, we know that you are on the throne. You are the king of light and you are alive. You are in this room, Lord. And God, your Holy Spirit in us is the power of your kingdom. Lord, help us to hold on for dear life to your promises. God, help us to recognize the doubts and fears and the condemnation and cut them off at the pass and not to give the enemy an inch. And with that, Lord, I just pray that we would give you a mile. That God, at every moment, we would yield ourselves as a Romans 12. I beseech you, by the mercies of God, to make your life a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this beautiful story, God. I pray that your Holy Spirit would just put your hand upon each one of us. And today we would be following hard after you. And returning absolutely to our first love. For we pray in Jesus' name. And they all said, Amen. God bless you.